you begin to see how exquisitely the ego is articulated in such subtle ways. It's such a beautiful painting. It is an incredible painting. The question is, can you find a frame that allows you to see that it's a painting because you can see an edge of sky at the corner? Go for the sky. Don't try to change the painting. Be a stylistic, happy, neurotic man. <laughs> hey everyone, it's Raghu Marcus, and I'm back with a, another edition, a bonus edition of Ramdas Here and Now, mostly because I occasionally run across talks or excerpts of talks from Ramdas that I just think are so key to our day-to-day uh, -day balance, which is my favorite subject, which I explicate or explore, rather, on Mind Rolling, my other podcast. So I found something that I do want to share, and it's, uh, it's from a Q&A that Ramdas did long time back, and uh, it's somebody asking him about, um, I think she went off to some island paradise, maybe in Hawaii or something, and family was involved, and, and even though she was in the midst of all of it, she had sadness and isolation, felt sadness, isolation, loneliness, and depression. Uh, probably something that she had run into before on a uh, regular basis. So Ramdas talks about this in a way that is so, uh, so hits at the core of how we react to uh, these emotions. And uh, I wanted to uh, share that with you. Before I do that, though, uh, and uh, this is really... Uh, connects with uh, this particular uh, talk from Ramdas. Uh, it's just to let you know, we have a retreat, which many of you probably have heard about, in Boone, this incredible uh, retreat center in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. And this is our second time going there. It's, uh, it's an extraordinary retreat center with just incredible facilities. And, and of course, um, we have a usual coterie of really wonderful teachers starting off with uh, Krishna Das. And he'll be doing chanting every night. He'll be doing workshops. And uh, alongside of him, we have this just uh, very deep, deep teacher, Lama Tsultram Alioni, who's an old friend of ours and somebody who is steeped in uh, the Tibetan traditions. And why I say this is a real connection, this talk that uh, we're about to play for you, is that uh, the, the retreat is a theme, is cultivating loving presence and making peace with our shadows. So... Uh, I just want to point out, she in particular does a phenomenal practice that's basically uh, 
in the vernacular would be called feeding your demons. And uh, it's a way for us to relate with the feelings of depression, sadness, isolation, loneliness. Uh, it's very powerful. Uh, and just to mention who else will be there, uh, East Forest with his, uh, his wonderful uh, ceremonial music, uh, a lot of it uh, including Ram Dass. Dr. Sarah King, who uh, is um, uh, just a, a, a teacher with many different hats, from yoga to neuroscience. She's amazing. Nina Rao will be back with us. David Nickturn. Uh, and um, I'll be doing my usual uh, heading up the proceedings and moderating stuff, and then I do a, uh, a mind-rolling Be Here Now Network uh, session. So uh, it's very uh, profound. You get to do mantras in the morning with forest bathing in the midst of the forest, in nature. It's just uh, so connective. So I wanted everybody to know about it. It's August 24th to 28th. Again, it's in Boone, North Carolina at the Art of Living Retreat Center. And uh, we still have spots left, although it is... Uh, quickly moving into a uh, filled-up scenario. Uh, but uh, as of now, you can get in, and it's all very reasonable. So I urge you to go to ramdas.org and uh, go to uh, retreats, and you'll find your way into the registration page. So this this uh, wonderful talk, Ramdas really talks about dealing with depression in particular. And, you know, I know it in my own life. It's, it's a, you know, when you get down or when things are really not going the way that you would hope that they would, uh, whatever it may be, whatever emotional interruption, shall we call it, happens, uh, it's a matter of perspective. And Ram Dass talks about this, you know, when you, the wonderful thing about the um, the fact of impermanence, yes, it's kind of shitty when we have wonderful times and we're happy, and and then that changes because nothing lasts. But at the same time, when we're having a difficult time, you know that it's going to end. So there's a way in which you can sit with depression and, and look at how it changes, it's like, a, like pain. You know, you get pain and then it evolves. It starts, it's, it's sharp pain, then it gets into throbbing and then it, it, it'll stop for a minute, then it'll come back. You see that impermanence is really a quality that is, can support us rather than be something that we push away. Um, so, of course, uh, you know, Ramdas has told that famous story where he, and he tells it here, so I won't get into it too far, except to say that we all have these neurotic tendencies and uh, they seem gigantic. And yet, after a while, with practice and, and, and spaciousness that results from meditative practice, particularly mindfulness, they, they get smaller. The, you know, the molehills start 
stop turning into mountains. And Ramdas calls them schmooze. And and it's and as he says, these are things that we're going to go through with with in in our entire life. They just don't go away. What goes away is the reactivity to them, and uh, you know how quickly we in in the form in our formative years, especially on the spiritual path, we are very reactive. Um, we're afraid of them. So the fear is something else, of course that is, uh, can be very, very difficult. And Ramdas points out here, when you come up to the edge of your fear and then you just sit with it quietly. So all of, all of these really tough emotional uh, qualities that, um, that we find ourselves in, it's really a matter of awareness, right? It's an, uh, the, uh, you get to look at the... Uh, the way in which we completely succumb immediately to these emotions. And uh, again, I go back to perspective, the perspective of, of seeing how it changes and the perspective of, of not getting as lost. As time goes on, you get less and less reactive. That is the truth. If anybody asks me what... Uh, what has happened to me in terms of evolvement over decades of doing this kind of work, it's that that reaction time just stops being instantaneous and grows into a place where you actually, you kind of can see, you know, it's like seeing the little arrow shooting across slowly and you, you can watch it and you don't have to jump into it. Um, now, Practice is the key to all of this. And uh, he suggests in here, of course, mindful breath practice. Um, I can't think of anything. Ramdas's whole practice of loving awareness is about taking, moving from your ego, thought, mind place into the center of your chest, spiritual heart. And you do that using breath taking deep breaths into the center of your being and and in this case using that mantra i am loving awareness finally it becomes just loving awareness is a state and so pr practice is uh i mean we've been saying it all along every one of us that are doing different podcasts from uh, all the wonderful teachers and thought leaders it's necessary to practice or else it becomes very difficult to have the, that vantage point where you can actually see the impermanence of depression, sadness, feeling isolated and lonely, you know. So you don't try and get rid of anything, which is, the, again, the beauty of this uh, uh, meditation that if you happen to make it to, to boon to the our summer mountain retreat, and Lama Tsultram's, again, that practice that she leads just allows us to sit with these emotions and be with them in a way that we're not running in fear. It's uh, Ramdas did something like that when he first came back from India. He was all about, uh, gee, you got a little bit of, uh, you know, 
negative stuff, little demons here, little schmooze, will you invite them? He would say, invite them in for a cup of tea. And you can stay for a while, but then you got to go, you know. Yeah. I just recently did a podcast with uh, a, a good friend, uh, Mike Finoy, who does a wonderful thing with uh, O'Teal, a podcast with O'Teal Burbage, who plays uh, bass for uh, Dead & Company. And uh, he went through this, uh, a, a very severe depression over a, quite a long period of time. And, you know, he found the right therapist. And as Ram Dass used to say about therapists, as long as they don't act like they believe they are a therapist and they're part of a construct that allows for healing to happen is more better. Uh, Anyhow, Mike, really, uh, this is something on mind rolling uh, that uh, you can take a listen to, especially those those of us who have really difficult times working with depression and anxiety. Uh, he worked it out, and I'll, I'll put in a, a shout-out for uh, part of the way it worked for him was using ketamine, which is legal in this country, and a lot of uh, therapists are using it now, treating depression, anxiety, PTSD. And, of course, we're moving into an area where uh, both MDMA and psilocybin are being used very successful, successfully for these symptoms as well. And so, you know, I think we're looking at a very, very uh, positive future for being able to deal with it. And nowadays, boy, you you know, there's quite a bit of uh, very negative stuff that people are dealing with. So enough said. Uh, This is, again, a great thing. Oh, by the way, the end of it, Ramdas, is a fun thing. He he describes uh, an acid... uh, thing that happened to him when he was going to his mother and father's anniversary uh, occasion on a New Year's Day uh, at his brother's house. It's classic. It is so great. Classic Ramdas. So here you go. This is uh, Ramdas around uh, depression. There's also stuff in there around uh, family and and dealing with moms. And uh, it, it's all in all a very... Uh, uh, very appropriate for for the times. Uh, so this is uh, Raghu for Ramdas Here and Now and the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and catch all the wonderful podcasts and we'll see you next week. Not maybe me, it might be a couple of weeks. Go to Mind Rolling, that's where I'm on every week. See you later. I think when we come to uh, Island Paradise, it's often hard to stay close to your truth, that as you quiet down, you begin to realize what depths of sadness, what depths of loneliness, depths of isolation there are in, in individuals, in most of us. And we're constantly playing the game out with other people to reassure ourselves that we're, uh, we're connected and we're not alone and we... We use the world to do this thing to ourselves all the time. And we very rarely stop. Like when I've been very active for a long time and then I stop and I start to go into deeper quietness, I will start to experience a depression 
because I'm not being fed the way this is feeding me. I mean, imagine sitting with all of this stuff day after day. I mean, it's a, it's, it could be addiction if you wanted it. And you, after a while, you just, I go through a depression that might last a week or two. And um, I've learned, I've learned how, because each thing comes along and says, hey, I'm real. Think of me. Like, I'm depressed. And I've really trained myself to go from I'm depressed to look at that depression. Now, there's a, just a subtle distinction of where I'm standing in relation to it. Like, you went through that. First thing is, you feel somehow it wasn't good that you went through it. You should have had plans, and you should have been with people and all that. There's a judging mind right there in operation. Just a mediocre, plain old judging mind. <laughs> like we've all got, okay? Then the next thing is that you ended up feeling that deep sadness or pity or self-pity or isolation on loneliness. And then you decide that's a bad state to be in. Now you've got a new judgment to make. Instead of this happened and then this happened, I didn't make any plans and here I am and rising up in me is this great sadness. And it's familiar, I've always seen this sadness. And then just sitting with it. Sitting with it. Instead of running from it, or getting into the judging mind to separate yourself from it. There is a quality of just being with the thing and allowing it to keep changing into something else. Like you're feeling really depressed and down, and then you hear a bird, or you look out at the water and you're not even seeing the water because you're so busy being depressed. And then a fish jumps, and it catches, and your consciousness starts to... And a moment later... This is the interesting thing about the term anicca, or changing phenomena. Like, at this moment, are you in the same state you were in yesterday? So where did it go? Where is it? Would you produce it for me now? So where is that feeling of I'm alone and isolated? Where is that? Is it here at this moment? It is. Okay. Is it here every moment of your waking life? Oh, good. <laughs> we got a good one to play with here. This isn't just a fleeting depression. This is a deep thing. Hmm. See, it's a very interesting that at this point, almost anybody that's in the therapy business, and there are many resonant consciousnesses here in that business, say, well, this is something we've got to work on. And I would say that the working on it probably digs the hole deeper. Because this stuff is in you. You've had it for years. You know, the problem is you're going to take it to your grave. It's not going anywhere. So you might as well make friends with it. I mean, I have so many neuroses. As I've said and you've heard me say, I've never gotten rid of one neurosis through analysis, gurus, meditation, <laughs> drugs. Not one, not one single, I can show you every perversion, every addiction, it's all still there. The only difference is that instead of being these huge neuroses that control my life, or these things that obsess me, they're these little schmooze that I, that I drive, I, hi, come on in for tea. They're just little friendly things. So I assume that this is a deep one, you're not going to get rid of it. So the question is, are you going to... Where, are you, where is your awareness going to be in relation to it? 
Where's the relationship? Awareness not being in relation to it. Is there a way of extricating the awareness? Not by trying to be happy where you were sad, which is just feeding the whole reality of that polarity, but just pulling the awareness back. And so I would say, if you came to me and said, I'm feeling this deep, deep feeling of unworthiness and loneliness and sadness, and I've always felt it, what should I do? I would say, go back and sit down and follow your breath. And then you come back and say, I tried following my breath, but I still feel the deep, sad depression inside me. What do I do? I say, go back and follow your breath. And follow it more and more precisely. And you watch that the awareness, after a while, will start to follow the breath, and then it'll be pulled over into, I'm still miserable. And then bring it back to the breath, and then it'll float, and then bring it back to the breath, and just keep going like that. And it'll leap back and forth, and leap back and forth. That's a model in your head. That thought form is part of the whole constellation. I am unworthy. I will never experience the beloved because I am so depressed and so sad and so isolated. And I, you know, I mean, you're just you're describing in vivid detail the bird that just flew by, the phenomenon, the phenomena, which is what you call your personality, and that has in it the doubt that you're worthy of, etc. And you begin to see how exquisitely the ego is articulated in such subtle ways. It's such a beautiful painting. It is an incredible painting. The question is, can you find a frame that allows you to see that it's a painting because you can see an edge of sky at the corner? Go for the sky. Don't try to change the painting. Be a stylistic, happy, neurotic man. Like <laughs> the concept, the experience of stuck there and fighting to come back is all one thing. It is the fear, the way the fear of dying manifests, the fear of ceasing to exist, the fear of being lost. And under other conditions, had you felt safe enough or had you been guided properly or whatever, you would have said, okay, here I go, I'm not coming back. And then you would have, your awareness would have been free of the fear of not coming back. And you would have found yourself right here again, but without the fear. And it, it's really hard to say to somebody, well, then go be crazy and let's see what happens. Because you can spend your whole life busy being busy, not being crazy. And it keeps feeding on itself. And what I, I mean, we both hear the pain of getting caught in the in-between worlds where you don't go far enough out, so you're just left with the fear that you're going to lose it, and you feel you got to push against things. At this moment, and now you're not having flashbacks and so on, I, uh, I think that the art form is to just whatever meditative or practice techniques you can use, and come to the edge of the fear. Don't try to bulldoze your way through it. Come to the edge of it and just sit with it in a very soft way. Just keep sitting with it in a very soft way. Come up to the edge of your fear. Don't try to push the door down. Just come up to it and hang out. Come up to it and hang out. Don't be so um, <coughs> investing in the history that brought you to this moment. 
because everybody in this room has fear at some edge. That's part of what keeps us all caught in our separateness. So yours has that historical thing to it, but let that one go into the moment. When you're coming up, look at what the fear feels like now. What does it feel like now? Is it sweaty? Is it cold? Is it hard? What is it? And just sit with it and let it... It's in a way learning how to embrace the thing into yourself. Because the one thing is the fear comes and you push against it. And that locks you into something where something can't change. And I just want to invite you to come up to the edge of it, play with it. It's like feeling somebody's walking behind you and turning around and looking at them and saying, yes, can I help you? And then finding out it's something different than you thought it was. But without trying to get rid of the fear, just come up and hang out with it closely. That would be a suggestion. Is that all right? Yes. She said that she's on the other side of the issue of mother love because she's dealing with a mother who she experiences gives love as apples with razor blades. I love you, but if you could only be this, I'd, I'd love you more. We're talking now about fire that can purify and the fire that burns. Your mother has been a fire that burns you. She gets you where you live. She knows which buttons to push to make you feel angry, unloved, uh, unjustly accused, made the object of conditional love, a whole set of things. She got you. She, her, her neuroses is controlling your mind. You've given your mind to her neuroses, basically. The fire doesn't burn when you no longer are giving your mind to other people's projective systems. We in the West are used to, I know, you know, I know, I know all that already. We know with our minds, but we aren't, we aren't it yet. And I remember, I used to, uh, there was a wonderful guy who was um, in a mental hospital, and he, um, he was a Jewish kid from uh, Cleveland or Cincinnati, and he used to go, he called me once. He used to call me all the time in the hospital. And he called me. He said, I went home to visit my family. And he said, he said, um, my mother loves me when I'm the Buddha, but she hates me when I talk about Buddhism. <laughs> See? And I, and, and he kept trying to convert her or save her or something. And then he, she pushed him away. My experience was that I came back from India and I would come home, I'd come into the house full of my uh, centered, radiant, Christ-like beauty. <laughs> and my father would say something like, have you got a job yet? <laughs> and i think, why am I cursed with this mundane father? Doesn't he appreciate who I really am? Right? And I'd say... I can't go home. It brings me down. You hear where that comes from? That's just what you're saying. I can't go. I've been staying away because I can't go home. It brings me down. And then I realized that I bring me down. It doesn't bring me down. Your mother is just like a tree. She is an absolute essence, neurotic, conditional lover. She is the most, look at that tree out there. Would you say that that tree that has no, look at that tree. See the one that has no leaves on it? Would you say that's ugly or has a beauty of its own? Well, that's your mother. There is your mother right there. There she is. And your ability, you, what's trapping you is your own mind's buying of another person's projection. 
She's projecting who she thinks you are to feel total in her psychodynamic universe, her phenomenological world. You're buying it. Like people come up to me and they say, Ramdas, what an honor to meet you. And I can climb into, yeah. <laughs> and then somebody else says, hey, Dick. Hey, Dick, you screwed up the other day. Would you please try not to screw it up? And I say, okay. And I can feel how if you walk down the street, everybody you meet is projecting who, what reality they think exists, who they think you are and who they think they are. And you can walk down, and if you're not busy being somebody, what you are like is like a chameleon. You're just like a liquid thing. You just keep going into the complementarity to their projective system, and you become what the thing is. Like, you go down the street, and there's a very frail old person, and they're looking and saying, I'm so frail, and I'm so delicate, and they come to the curb, and you become this helpful, strong, supportive person. You just, you can feel your mind change into that. You go down another street. I mean, I've watched, as I got uh, more mature in years, I watched myself from walking down the street being a sexual entity, where I was either a perspective or a competitor. <laughs> and then as I got older, I started to walk down the street and I'd look into people's eyes and I saw irrelevancy. They saw me as irrelevant. I was like a lamppost. They were just looking at a lamppost. And it was the same street and they used to get, you know, like they'd say, no, I'm not interested in you or, oh, yes, let's have a drink. And now suddenly I just didn't exist. And I saw that at that moment, those projective systems could take me on a trip and uh, once I accept the responsibility for where my own consciousness is, and I don't mean it in the free choice sense, but just in the appreciation of the way the process is working, I keep using the places where somebody gets me. And see, at first, you hate the people that get you, and then later on, you love them because they're showing you your stash of clinging mind. Did you hear that? They're busting you for your stash. And they're showing you just where that stash of clinging mind is. She's a master teacher. She is absolutely a master teacher. The question is, do you want those teachings? Or is that fire too hot? And what I did was I'd go home and then I'd go away. Then I'd go home, then I'd go away. Then I'd go home and practice and go away, hang out in other scenes where it's wonderful to hang out where everybody says, you are such a radiant, wonderful person. I really appreciate your beauty and your kindness and your caring. You've been a true friend. Then you go home and your mother says, you know, and, you know like that. and until after a while, it was far out because I got to the point where I absolutely saw the consciousnesses of my family. There was a great moment. I've told this story many times, but it's such a good story. I can't resist telling it. Um, my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. And my mother was very ill, and she was close to death at that time. And uh, my brothers and I had prepared a beautiful, big photographic album of their whole life together, 40 years, and, and it was 44, I guess, and um, with uh, pictures and poems, and oh, it was art. It was a really incredible thing. And I had it, and I was to present it at a brunch we were having at my brother's house. On, it was Sunday, New Year's Day, January 1st, which was her anniversary. 
Well, I was at Harvard at that time, and the night before that, we had a major psychedelic session uh, in our living room, and I had timed it wrong so that um, so that in the morning, when I looked in the mirror to shave to go to the brunch, there was no face. So I thought, now don't get scared, don't freak. You know, this is just you're under you're under this chemical, and you you're not seeing the face. But so shave, just close your eyes and shave. And I, uh, I, so I, I shaved, and I then went to my brother's house. Uh, interesting journey, but we'll pass that for a moment. And uh, I walked into the house, and what I saw was that all my relatives were in their more simian form. They all looked like monkeys. My grandmother was an old skin. The children all looked like the parents. They looked like they, everybody was looking perfect, and they were. And I just was wearing dark sunglasses. The night before had been New Year's Eve, so everybody assumed it was all right. I had been drunk. I didn't have to tell them I was stoned. I just wanted. so I came into the house, and I'm talking to these chimps, and it's all very friendly. And we sit down to brunch. Now my family is a, from an old and noble tradition in which you express love through cutting each other to ribbons. Something that you may not be familiar with in your family, but I know it well. And so my brother was sitting across the table, and I saw his mouth open, and he said, um, he said, well, he said, um, how's the nut business? I was a therapist at Harvard. I was a professor. I was a nut business. And I saw his mouth open, and an arrow come out of his mouth, and it came across the, the table. And I reached up, and I took the arrow, and I put it down next to my spoon. And then I looked at him, and I said, gee, your children have grown so beautiful. And I felt this heart come out of my mouth and slowly go across the table, and it hit him in the head. And the look of confusion, because I wasn't playing by the rules, you see. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.